So I invite you to open your Bibles at Luke chapter 13, because we're going to spend just some time this morning looking at some of the stories, some of the parables that Jesus used to talk about and to explain what the kingdom of God is all about. But you're going to do most of the work, because I'm going to get, invite you now to read the section after a brief introduction, and then again, in some way similar to what I did with the penny, I'm going to just lead you in some of your thinking, because ultimately, it's as God speaks through these stories, these picture stories, that we have that encounter with the kingdom. Jesus, of course, was the great storyteller. There would be people who are not even Christians who would say that Jesus is one of the greatest storytellers of all time. But the question may well be, well, what's the point of a story? Unless it has some significance, unless it has some point, then it's just a coming together of words. But Jesus' use of stories, not just here, but throughout the gospel, Jesus' use of stories, storytelling, the use of illustrations, taking things that people were familiar with, things that were happening in the wider world, things that people would see in the street, things that people would be aware of in their family life, as Jesus took these everyday things and gave them that added insight and significance and point, these illustrations, then he used them to help others, those who are listening, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, those who are listening to encounter wonderful, supernatural, out-of-the-world truths. And indeed, some of you will know many years ago, now I had the privilege of going to Brazil with Scripture Gift Mission, with Life Words, as it's been called for a good number of years, and particularly to watch how they used Bible stories, how they used the parables and the events of Jesus' life to minister to people in sometimes the most awful circumstances, both to give them wisdom and insight into their circumstances, but also to help them to know that God met with them in these circumstances. And I remember once watching, and it was a bit funny, it was through that, you know, those glass screens that they have, you know, you see them in these you know, police programs where they're through there getting interviewed and there's other folk on the other side that you can't see but they're watching you. Well, we stood on the other side of a glass screen watching one of the workers with a young person going through one of the stories of Jesus. And it was amazing, as it is sometimes with the children and park kids, to see how, oh, yes, that's what it's all about. So we're going to do that together this morning. So Luke chapter 13 and I'm going to invite you to read from verse 18 to verse 30. Now, I appreciate reading speeds vary, so you might not necessarily get finished before I start wobbling on, but I'm going to ask you, invite you now to read from Luke chapter 13 and read from verse 18 to verse 30. As you've read that story, this is not a discussion time, it's not suitable in a building like this, but as you've read that story, and perhaps some of it's familiar too, but what has perhaps, hmm, I never thought of it in that kind of way before. Has anything provoked our thoughts? What is the kingdom of God like? 
What shall I compare it to? Jesus says. He's trying to explain something which is supernatural, which is beyond the kith and kin of ordinary people, of humans. He's trying to explain it in a way in which people can begin to understand. And look what he chooses as an explanation. He chooses a mustard seed. And I probably think most of us are aware that the mustard seed was one of the smallest seeds you could possibly get. You could hardly see it. In fact, you need to, you know, dampen your finger to kind of pick it up because it was so small. A bit like the penny. Insignificant. Of no great value. And yet the mustard seed had tremendous potential. Jesus tells us that. And the people who were listening to that would have known that truth. It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. It's little, insignificant, small, and yet has potential to be a blessing, to be a haven, to be a place of rest, a place of nourishment. What shall I compare God's kingdom to? Something that most people all that religious nonsense, all that talk about God, you lot coming out here on a Sunday morning when you could be sitting at home or doing something else, all that religious stuff, don't give me that. How many people have told us that? Oh, don't start, don't give me that. And yet Jesus says that his kingdom breaks through all of these preconceived notions, takes that which seems to be nothing, and makes a bountiful blessing for men and women, like birds and perch in its branches, can be shaded from the sun and can be nourished in the midst of the heat of life. And then he takes some yeast. And again, that would have been something people would be familiar with, especially the women who'd be listening. What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed it into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the door. What does yeast do? It brings life. It rises. It expands. There's growth. Again, there's bounty. There's blessing. There's provision. Without it, there's barrenness, flatness, something that is of little taste, something that will not provide much. But my kingdom takes the barren things of life, the flat things of life, and transforms them. It's the yeast that brings forth vibrancy and color and potential and power. That's my kingdom. And in the same way as you would never think of cooking bread, he's basically saying, without putting yeast in, why do you think you can live life without And then he goes on, not in a parable, but in a story. Anything about the story that seems a bit, hmm. The context of the passage is at the beginning of chapter 13, where we read that there were some present at a table where they noticed that Jesus, um, where they told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifice. And Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And he goes on to talk 
about the way in which his kingdom transforms how we understand people. You're a worse sinner. I'm better than you. I'm not like these people. It's that spirit of the Pharisees, the spirit of the religious leaders that Jesus is challenging. They think they're in the club. They've bought their ticket and their seat. They've secured their entry. They're safe, and everybody else isn't. And the kingdom turns those values upside down. Make every effort, Jesus says, to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. For once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, We ate and drank with you and we taught in your streets. And he will reply, I don't know you. Where you come from, away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Now, is the day of salvation. The day will come when the door of the kingdom will be closed. What are you relying upon to be part of that kingdom? Your significance, your status, what you have done, who you are, how much money, how much wealth, how you're highly regarded? If that's your ticket for the kingdom, it's a dud one. And it won't get you in. And that day will come when the door will be closed and you'll be found outside. Let's sing together a song that reminds us of Jesus and what His grace does. It's a little simple song. I'm going to ask Janice to play through the tune for us, and we'll just remain seated as we sing it through together. Jesus, 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 your love has melted my heart.
What is the ticket that gets you into the kingdom? What is the seed planted in your life that transforms who you are? What is the thing that comes to break through the barrenness of so much that we hold on to and brings us that life in all its fullness? It's knowing and letting be released the love of Jesus in our hearts. We're going to move on to some more of the parables and the story. John chapter 15. And I'm going to invite you now to read the first 10 verses of this section just at the moment. The first 10 verses. Luke chapter 15 and 1 to 10. And let's read that quietly together. What does it feel like to lose something precious? Or to be lost? We thought we had lost Gregor once. It was when we were clearing my parents' house after my dad died. And he was there. I think Colin would have been at school. Gregor was with us and did with my brother and his wife. And we were clearing out. And you know what it's like? You get caught up with so many other things. And suddenly, someone said, where's Gregor? I actually have to be honest, Gregor. I don't even think it was me or your mum. I think it was your uncle and aunt that said, where's Gregor? And we looked round the house. It wasn't a very big house. We looked round the house and we couldn't find him. And as time, as that time goes, you know the kind of feeling? You start to get, you know, a wee bit panicky. And you think, well, maybe he's just gone outside. Because I think the door, the front door was open because we were going in and out to the cars, you know, with taking stuff. And we went outside and we looked at the wee front garden. And then we went down the side path around to the back garden. There was no sign. And then we were out in the street. And by this time we were getting frantic. And I came back in, and I remember this, I came back in, and, and, and Gregor, Elizabeth's mum was, was kind of obviously getting somewhat distressed, and suddenly we heard a little giggle. <laughs> and he who was lost was found. 
hiding under a dining room chair in the front room and had sat there. He always had that wee twinkle in his eye, didn't he, Greg? Doesn't, doesn't he, Gregor? And we were sitting there, I think knowing fine well, son, that we were going frantic. And he was just waiting to be found. To lose something that's so precious. What does this tell us about the God? The God that the Pharisees and the religious leaders don't really understand. The same kind of people who are pointing the finger at Galileans, the kind of roughnecks, the you know, and saying, look at them, and they're obviously worse sinners because of what's happened, unlike us. It's the same kind of spirit that's now saying, look at the kind of folk that Jesus mix about with. But you see, the kingdom's understanding of value, the kingdom's understanding of what's precious, the kingdom's understanding of what really makes for life and living is not the world's standard. And in the kingdom the lost sheep is precious. And he goes out in the night and the wind and the storm and seeks and brings home. Perverse and foolish off we strayed, but yet in love he sought me and on his shoulder gently laid and home rejoicing brought me. And the woman who loses her dowry, the sign of all that she had been in life, that little bundle. And one goes and she finds it. Probably down in a crack between the floorboards or whatever. And she's so filled with joy, the reminder of what life has brought to her and been a blessing in, that she brings all her neighbors round about and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Jesus says, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner. Read on from verse 11 to verse 32, the well-known story of the lost son. Who is the lost one in this story? You can't shout out. You won't get around. Who really is the lost one? Sorry? The older son. Spot on hell. It's the older son who's lost. Because again, he thinks he's got it. But he hasn't. The younger one thought, he had it and then lost it and realized what that meant. And he comes home, his tail between his legs, in humility and in brokenness 
I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He came home wanting to be a servant, a higher servant in the household of his father. The older son, he had it. The business was going to be his. Fact and practice already was. And yet the one thing which he didn't really have was that love for the father or for his brother. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and might. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the key that's missing. He's the one that's lost. Where is the wayward prodigal? Has been found and is alive and knows now more abundantly than he could ever ask or imagine the Father's generous love. Stories we're all familiar with. Stories that we've heard in Sunday school. Stories that we might even pass on to our children, our grandchildren. But stories that have a point. Have we heard that point of what it is to know the kingdom today?